If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 this morning. Now, Charles Spurgeon, as you know, I'm going to be writing my dissertation on Charles Spurgeon. But many of you may not know Charles Spurgeon. And so Charles Spurgeon, he has long been known as the Prince of Preachers. Now, though he was once a household name, and by that I mean a household name around the world in the 1800s, now, outside of mostly Christian circles, he is more or less unknown today. However, in his day, every week, thousands would flock to hear him preach. And that for 30 plus years. And when I say that, I mean like five to 6,000 every single Sunday for 30 plus years. Yet as he preached his first sermon in their new church building in 1861, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, he made clear what he and his ministry was about. Even as people, you know, made him an enemy, they mocked him, they said he was fake and was not a real preacher of the word, he declared, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. And to that, I say amen also. I mean, such a subject and such a person is worthy of our lives and everything. Yet though he is that... And he is wonderful, and he is glorious, and he is life everlasting in our eyes. The truth is, and you know it also, he is anything but that in the eyes of the world. As we come to our passage this morning, Paul, in the midst of a world that looks at Christ with scorn, does not shirk Christ but he makes clear that regardless of how people might view him, as in Paul, or even Christ himself, he says, even so, but we preach Christ crucified. Amen. And so to see this, let's read this passage in full here, beginning with verse 18. May God bless his sure, true, inspired Word this Lord's day. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. Now already, only 17 verses in to this letter, we have already seen that this letter is deeply applicable. We've seen not just the mess of the Corinthians. We have seen that, and we're going to continue seeing that. But we've seen the mess of you, and of me, and of all of us. Yet at the same time, as we see that, and as we have seen that, walking through this letter, even up to this point, only these few verses in, we've also seen the immense undeserved grace of God. And so the exhortation of this letter, it has been to be a holy people in the midst of an unholy world, which that is applicable because that is exactly what we are experiencing today. And I would say, and we are right to say, since Genesis chapter 3. And so we saw that Paul called the Corinthian church in verses 10 through 17, to unity, and not just them, but he calls us to unity also. And not just unity, if you remember, around anything, not around common likes or dislikes or a sort of morbid kind of uniformity. He's not, he did not call us to those things, but that we would all unite around Jesus Christ. And so as he ended, verse 17, ended in verse 17... He magnified that message, how Paul was called to preach the gospel. And as we see there in verse 17, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So it's from that truth, this truth from verse 17, the cross of Christ and its power, that he now launches into his points here in our verses, where he specifically lifts high, as odd as it may be to say it this way, at least in Paul's day, and even in ours, he lifts high the wonderful cross. And so all this in the midst of his call to unity. For unity to exist, it must be a church A people who live not in view of themselves, but in view of Christ and the cross of Christ. In order to make clear, he contrasts, in order to make this clear, he contrasts what the world's view of the cross is to what ours is to be. And so first, the world's view of the cross is that it is ugly and powerless. Is that it is ugly and powerless. 
And we see that in verse 18, the first part of verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now before I was a believer, I remember this very vividly. Not just me thinking this, what Paul said here in this, the folly of the cross, but I felt it. I thought the cross and that Christians and all this talk about Jesus was pure silliness. And I mean that. Like if you were a Christian and you were around me back in that day, I would basically try to stay away from you because I was embarrassed by you. And I did not want to have anything to do with the church, with the Bible, with Christianity. And so what was all that about? What was going on with Andrew Record prior to him knowing Jesus Christ? Well, it was this. I thought the cross was foolishness. Why would anyone want to have anything to do with that? With this? With these people? (laughs) And so that's where I was. Now as we read this though, let's just be clear. And I think you know this, but Paul, he is not talking here as he talks about the cross. He's not talking about wooden beams, right? The world hates wood shaped like crosses. That's not, that's not what he's talking about here. That's not what he's saying. You see, the cross, back in Paul's day, it was a tool for torture and punishment and putting people to death. So Cicero... The Roman statesman, he said of crucifixion back in his day, he said the very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. And so the cross was disdained. I mean, prior to Jesus. And now Christians are here going around preaching the cross of Christ as the path to life, as the path to salvation, as the path to the kingdom of God. And so the world sees this and the cross and they just say, that is foolishness. Deeply, deeply mistaken. Well, whether then back in Paul's day, or now in 2023, it's the same point. Those who are perishing, those who are under God's judgment right now, they see the cross as silly. They see it as a joke. They see it as foolishness. You're saying salvation comes through that? I mean, through him? Through this crucified man? You've got to be kidding me. And yet this isn't the way that we're to see it. Now as I say that, this isn't a case of they see it one way and we see it another way. Like it's all just a matter of perspective. You know, it's just various opinions. They see it one way, we see it a different way. To each their own. Friends, that is not the case. 
we are dealing with truth. And so it's a spiritual point. Those who are dead spiritually see the cross as ugly and as powerless. But those alive spiritually, namely us or you, if you know Jesus Christ, have a totally different view altogether. And so the world's view, ugly and powerless, but the believer's view of the cross is that it is glorious and powerful. So now, by the grace of God, we see the cross very differently from the world. And you yourself can say that I myself even see the cross differently than I once did. And when I became a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, this changed for me as well. That by God's grace, when I saw the cross for what it is, Christ for who he is, I no longer thought of it as this silly, ridiculous kind of thing. I was no longer embarrassed by Jesus and by the gospel. What was I? I was absolutely overjoyed. The most glorious, amazing news the world has ever seen. Here, finally... After I've been searching here and there and in all these places, here finally is life everlasting. And this is what Paul says here as he continues on in verse 18. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's not ugly, it's beautiful. The word of the cross, the gospel, it's life to those who believe. Now, as Paul says all this, he uses this phrase that we are being saved. Now, this doesn't take away from the reality nor assurance of our salvation. What he is saying and what he means by this is that we are those who are living right now under God's saving power. Do you view yourself that way? Right now, if you know Christ, you are living under God's saving power. We're living under the power of the cross. And so the power of God is being displayed in our cross-centered lives all the way until we go to be with the Lord. And so when you or I think of the word of the cross, the gospel, Jesus, it's not a tragic story of failure. It is glorious and it is powerful. It is a wonderful cross. And we see the gospel as beautiful. And we hold Christ as our treasure above any and all things. And I mean that. And you can just ask yourself, is that true in your heart right now? That Christ is your treasure above all things. Above the things that matter most to you, Christ is more. And so here, see 
The word of the cross is central not only to what you believe, but to who you are. But to who you are. So in other words, it's not something you're to be embarrassed by. Let me just say that again, believers. In our day, in 2023, amidst everything being said about us, it is not something that you are to be embarrassed by and detach yourself from. It might mean that we will look like that. That we will look look like fools to the world. In fact, right now, you not only know that's the case, right? I mean, you go to work feeling it to be the case. You feel the tension as you go to work. Or even perhaps when you go with your family, you sense in your family gatherings this tension among your unbelieving family members. You might even hear this verbally from others as well. Yet what we need to see is that our feelings of all of that, they are not the facts We're not Christians because it is the opium of the people. It's not illusions for the masses. We are not on the side of like, well, maybe it's true. We are on the side of it is true. We're not just believing these things so we can feel good about ourselves. And if that's why you're believing them, you need to examine your heart this morning. Now, it will do that. But man, when you have Jesus saying you must take up your cross and follow me, what are you going to do when maybe your own family members reject you for knowing Jesus Christ? Your own co-workers, or you lose your job, you lose your house, and everything for Christ. If your version of Christianity is that, well, I only will follow Christ so long as it makes me feel good, well, you need to examine whether you really know what Christianity is at its very basic form. Because it will mean a cross. And the word of the cross is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the dividing point between spiritual death and spiritual life. And so we're to take that true word to the world and taking up our own cross as we go. Which, friends... They're not necessarily going to go look at you and say, the cross. They're going to say all the other things. You're not, you're not in agreement with us on gender and the sexual revolution. That's where it's going to come from. You're not in agreement with all these things that we're proposing that are totally contrary to the word of God. That's where it's going to come from. They're not going to point directly at the cross and say, ugh. But at the very basic foundation behind it all, it is the word of the cross that they see as foolishness. And so in the midst of the waves of the worldly voices around us, we are to listen to that one voice, to the one who speaks in the midst of the darkness, and that is not folly, friends. It's the power of God. 
It's not the ugly, powerless cross. It's the wonderful, powerful cross that we are living for and preaching. And that we are not to be embarrassed by. And so Paul, he sets forth the cross as wonderful. But now he turns in verses 19 through 25 to the world-defying cross. From the wonderful cross to the world-defying cross. So in these next verses, he explains verse 18. That's what he's doing. And he unfolds the deep contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. So contrary to how you might feel or how the world may want you to feel like what you believe is foolish, they want you to feel that way. Contrary to that, Paul, he magnifies the inability of worldly wisdom. The inability of worldly wisdom in verses 19 through 21. And so to show this, Paul, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, that Megan read from just a moment ago. And he quotes from that in verse 19 here. And so the context of that passage is Israel was seeking to avoid God's judgment that was coming from the Assyrians. Even to the point that they were looking to the world for help. They were turning to the wisdom of the world and denying the wisdom and word of God. Yet what you need to see very clearly here, what Paul is saying even now, is that the worldly, that worldly wisdom is doomed. When we read verse 19, he's, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And so you can know the wisdom of the world right now is under God's judgment. It's not true. And it's not the truth. Now, as I say that, that does not mean there's nothing for us to learn from the world. It's right for us to say all truth is God's truth. Yet, what this is saying is that all wisdom aligned against God and against the wisdom of God, God is thwarting. In the cross, God has declared that sort of wisdom to be foolishness. And so in verse 20, Paul, he asks, where are the wise people? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? And his answer is, well, they're they're nowhere to be found. And why is that? Because before God, their wisdom is not wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. That's folly. It's theirs. The world's wisdom. That is folly. While the world says the cross is foolishness, the world's every effort, every aim, and every pursuit has not gotten it anywhere, not even an inch closer to knowing God. This is exactly what Paul says here in verse 
21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And so we need to see and we need to be unashamed to say this of the world, the wisdom of the world in our day as well. My truth, the sexual revolution, the pursuit of self, the anger, the confusion, the emotion-driven logic that we're seeing everywhere, the self-made spirituality, the cancel culture, the vending machine of ideas, you need to know that is not it. They are devoid of the truth. It's not a matter of your perspective, my perspective. They are devoid of the truth. So in contrast to that, to the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God and the power of God is known, displayed, and preached through the crucified Christ. And this runs against the grain of our world. You see, the gospel isn't about might. And we see this in verses 22 through 23. The Jews, they wanted that, right? They wanted signs. They wanted a mighty warrior king. They wanted conquering a king and bringing about God's kingdom right now. They wanted burning bushes. They wanted plagues. They wanted the parting of the seas. They wanted the sun to be stilled. They wanted healings. And they wanted thousands being fed by bread and a fish. They wanted more of that. Show us. Give us more of that stuff and not this humble, you know, crucified Savior King. Well, could it be that God is not calling us to something flashy and shiny and that awes the peoples of the world, but He is calling you and me to something very, very simple. Even what the world seen, sees as ignoble. He's simply calling us to the old rugged cross. <laughs> to preach the humble, powerful, life-changing cross of Christ. To preach the gospel. Unashamedly. For in it is salvation and life everlasting. So it's not about might, and the gospel also isn't about an unending search for wisdom, an unending search for wisdom. And that's what the Greeks were doing here. Now, who are those guys? Well, the Gentiles, which I would imagine pretty much that's all of you. Gentiles. They were doing this. And they're still doing this today. I mean, that's what our world is doing right now. It's searching. And this is why they see the cross as foolishness. They're groping about in the dark, 
saying, give me something loftier. Give me some philosophical system. Give me some flesh-satisfying thing that won't kill the flesh, but gives me more of the flesh and not less of the flesh. I want more of it. And the sad truth is, and you know this also, our flesh is never satisfied. I mean, isn't that the lie of lies? I mean, it never ends. That's why, you know, pornography, which is the world, worldliness 101, lust of the, the eyes, lust of the flesh, lust of the world, the pride of life. That's why when you give yourself over to that, you'll never find an end to it. It just keeps going and going and destroying everything in its path. Because the flesh cannot satisfy you. And whatever sin you may be struggling in right now, maybe you just need to hear that, that that sin will not satisfy you. It will lie to you until you go to the grave saying, well, wait, just one more time, just one more thing, just get this other thing, and then finally you'll have it. And that's what we see in the world. Just give me this one more thing. If we get this one more victory that we think of the sexual revolution, we think of gender this way, if we go this next step, then maybe, just maybe, we'll find that satisfaction that we are longing for. And what happens? They do not find it, and they will not find it. So in all this, What are we being called to? We're being called away from the heart of worldly wisdom. We're being called away from the heart of worldly wisdom. We're being called away from the heart that sees the cross as despicable and as ugly and as powerless and as weak and as foolish. Rather, as Paul, he says here, we Preach Christ crucified. Even as it's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Yet even even so, even as the world sees the cross that way, incredibly, graciously, as the world sees the cross as foolishness, even now, even today, God is calling people to himself. He is saving the lost. He is displaying his wisdom. And he is displaying the power of the cross. The cross has not lost its power, brothers and sisters. But his people have stopped proclaiming it. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, God's doing what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, where he said, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
That's what God is doing today. And all of this is humbling. But how deeply we need and even must be humbled. It's not up to us. It's not dependent on us. Nor is it derived from us. It is only God who saves. All your supposed wisdom just goes right out the door. And so at this point, as you see all this and hear all that Paul is saying here, you see why all of this is absolutely infuriating to the world. This is why Paul has verse 25 here. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of, weakness of God is stronger than men. What does that mean? Well, on God's worst day, if such a thing were possible, his wisdom is always better than man's wisdom, than worldly wisdom. And so you are being called away from the heart of worldly wisdom. This means you don't divorce Christ from anything. And I mean that. Believers, we have divorced Christ from so many things in our lives. I mean, you just test yourself in this. I mean, your knowledge, whatever it is, regardless of the subject it is, is it cross-filled knowledge? Is it Christ-centered knowledge? And I mean, even math. (laughs) Like, it should be... Like, who made the heavens and the earth? God did. So it is right that we have a gospel-centered knowledge of all things, no matter what its subject. Your work... Whatever it is you do, you're not just to understand it and take on the wisdom of the world and say, well, yeah, of course. Your work, whatever it may be, it is to be a cross-centered work, a gospel-defined work, a Christ-identified work. And so also with everything else in our lives, your words, your actions, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, all of them are to be cross-filled and defined by Christ and defined by the gospel. Now, in seeing and saying all this, it isn't to drive you and me to be angry with the world. You may, even in hearing all this, may be tempted to be that. But that's not what Paul's calling for us to do. To be angry. But all this is to drive us to compassion. Even deep humility. We look at this and we say, that's where we all once were. The cross was foolishness to me. We looked to the world. We had its heart. And then what happened? Were you pursuing after God? Was there anything that you had done that you were doing that was pointing you in the direction of God? 
It was then, in the midst of all that, that God's powerful, world-shaking, life-changing grace broke through the darkness and then came, became, and came to us as the light of light, a light of life. In the midst of our lostness, God brought us out of it. In the midst of the darkness, he called us to come to the light of Jesus Christ. And so though the cross defies the world, we must keep preaching the cross to the world. Not in anger, but in love. Not being embarrassed by the cross. You will be tempted by that every day you go to work. But by taking up the cross and preaching it, all of us are, as it, as it has been said, which is right, we are simply one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Amen. We're not looking at them as though, well, you <laughs> guess what I found out on my own. That's not you. That's not me. We're just all a bunch of beggars going to other beggars saying, hey, you want life? It's not found in that. It's found in him. So let me ask you a question. What if we arose with Spurgeon and joined him in saying, the subject of my life and of this church shall be the person of Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord. What if you said that? And you don't pull punches. You just say, throughout the gamut of my life. Yes. Friends, will you make your life about him? It won't be easy. I know that from personal experience. <laughs> Since I became a Christian, it has been harder, not easier. But it's worth it. So rather than aligning yourself with the world and its wisdom, may you, may we, may all of us align ourselves with the word of the cross because in it is the wisdom and power of God. Amen. It is the one hope for our world and beyond. Do you believe that? Will you be unembarrassed by Christ? Will you make him the one subject of your life for the rest of your days? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we pray for your help, Lord, as we hear and have heard your word. Lord, we first just praise you and thank you for your grace. Thank you for showing us the truth and calling us out of darkness and into the wonderful light. Lord, we admit it was your doing. It was your power. 
and we thank you for saving us and redeeming us from death and giving us everlasting life. We pray, Lord, as we take these words up and take these words in, that you'd help us, Father. Help us to take them up and say, yes, Christ would be the one subject of this church and of my life. Even as I go to work as an accountant or as a waiter or waitress or hostess or host, or even as I go as an engineer or graphic designer or whatever it is, my one, the one subject of my life will be Christ. And so Lord, help us this morning, help us to take on these things as we are all wrestling with living in the world. May we not be fooled by it. May we walk according to the wisdom of you, the living God, to walk according to the cross of Christ because in the cross is the wisdom and power of God. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.